This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 617 This episode was pre-recorded. Can the comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Let's all take our seats. It's Crisis 313, Our Worlds at War. This is how I got my wife to read comics. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. In our last Crisis episode, new villain Imperiax wants to remake the universe, and our heroes are getting the worst of it. Can they turn it around in the conclusion of this 2001 event? JSA, our Worlds at War number one. Writer Jeff Johns, pencils Javier Salteres, inks Ray Crissing, colors Tom McGraw, separations Heroic Age, letters Ken Lopez, assistant editor Stephen Wacker, and editor Peter Tomasi. We get... A huge JSA roll call. Sand, Sentinel, Jay Flash, Wildcat, Dr. Fate, the Star-Spangled Kid, a.k.a. Stargirl, Mr. Terrific, Dr. Midnight, Hawkman, Hawkgirl, Black Canary, Atom Smasher, Airwave, J.J. Thunder and Thunderbolt, Stripe, Black Adam, Nemesis, Power Girl, The Shining Knight, Vigilante, Black Condor, The Ray, Iron Monroe, Jade, Damage, The Patriot, Phantom Lady, and Dr. Occult. This is the team that Luther has called together for a mission to unplug Imperiax from his legion of drones, which are continuously repowering him. Unfortunately, his ship is the size of Jupiter. There's a lot of crosstalk before Hawkman tells everyone to pipe down. They have fought long odds before and won. Airwave will provide communication to the team during the mission. We get a number of character moments. Stargirl impressed by Power Girl. Jade and Sentinel having a father-daughter talk. The Patriot is introduced, who appears to be a modern Uncle Sam. Legacy heroes are also introduced. Their spaceship arrives only to be attacked by drones. Dr. Fate wipes them out, and Dr. Occult finds the main power source, generating portals to send teams off. They learn the ship is actually powered by a planet inside it, Daxum. Empirix is draining the energies of the Damaxian people, Superman class, to power his war. They agree the Damaxians must be saved first. A team is sent to free them, while the magic users are tasked with sending the planet back to its normal point. A covert team is sent to shut down Empirix's control room, and the heavy hitters are assigned distraction duty, which involves blowing up a huge fuel cell. On Daxum, the team fights drones, and Ray is skewered, with Black Condor bringing him back to life. They then finish the job and save the Daxamites. 
The covert team find devices that correspond to the seven points on Earth being attacked. The speedsters unplug them. The magic users stand in a circle and direct their energies through Jade, who moves the planet back to where it's supposed to be. The massive ship explodes just as the team warps out. Lex is unhappy the mission resulted in zero fatalities. Wonder Woman, our world's at war number one. Writer, Phil Jimenez. Pencils, Cliff Chiang, Jamal Eagle, and Buzz. Inks, Wade Von Grawbadger. Colors, Patricia Mulvihill. Separations from Digital Chameleon. Letters, Kurt Hathaway. Assistant Editor, Morgan Dontonville. Editor, Peter Tomasi. Apparently, Jimenez decided to forego Amazons versus Drones, choosing to use the issue as a framing device for the story of the Amazons, Hippolyta, and Diana. Everything from Donna Troy to Artemis to the other tribes of Amazons are covered. It's a very good primer of the saga. There's even a story within that harkens back to a Golden Age Wonder Woman stories. The issue ends with the current storyline, Hippolyta in space, having seen Diana hurt terribly in the battle with Imperiax, joins the battle, only to be killed, presumably in one of the tie-in issues. Hippolyta, Queen of the Amazons, 1941-2001, to R.I.P. Casualties of War, Flash, Our Worlds at War Number 1, writer Jeff Johns, pencils Angel Unzenta, Inks, Jose Marzan Jr., Colors, Tom McGraw, Separation, Digital Chameleon, Letters, John Costanza, and Editor, Joey Calvieri. We begin in 1967 Vietnam. A U.S. soldier is the lone survivor of a friendly fire attack, leaving him paralyzed. He apparently spends decades in a hospital room, only to be awakened by the source during a parademon attack. There's a whole dark side storyline in this event, which is being told in the tie-in issues. He becomes the Black Racer, a new god whose job involves collecting the dead. Hurry, death is calling. Cut to Keystone City and Wally collecting metal for a President Lex project. He tells Linda Park that Bart is MIA and how crises always hit the speedsters. She tells him not to give up. Union Commissioner Kenyon is asking striking workers to put things on hold until the project is complete. Kenyon was previously supervillain Goldface and is trying to make up for his evil deeds. Parademons attack, and two of Kenyon's associates whip out guns to take them out. Inside the factory, a massive object is being built with Vic Stone, cyborg, working on the tech. He and Steele have worked with the Union team to build the device, which will convert Wally's speed into a pulse to knock out the Parademon's jetpacks. Vic is using his abilities to control the computers, but he's zapped and locked out. Parademons attack again, but Cyborg and Flash hold them off until the final work can be completed. Black Racer arrives, and the Parademons scatter. He's there to collect a little girl in the crowd. The heroes will not stand for this, and Flash runs off with the kid. There's a bunch of dialogue about destiny, and the race decides that if Flash gets in the way, he will be collected too. Flash runs into the device with Black Racer behind him, but Wally throws up a boom tube to send him away. The device does its job, taking out the parademons. Cyborg decides to relocate from L.A. to Central City, while the racer returns to the hospital to kill his sister's husband, who was trying to cure him. He's back in bed, crying. 
Harley Quinn, Our Worlds at War, number one, writer Carl Kessel, artwork by Aaron Weisenfeld, Paul Greist, Paul Chadwich, Amanda Connor, Jimmy Palmiotti, and Steve Lieber. Colors and Separations, Roe Blayart, Letters, Janie Chang, Kurt Hathaway, Steve Lieber, and John Workman, Assistant Editor Nachi Castro, and Editor Matt Idelson. We begin with Jimmy Olsen on a spaceship where Metropolis' population has been sent during the war. The ship is under attack, and he's looking to send out an SOS. Too bad he doesn't have the signal watch anymore. He puts on a helmet which zaps him, and he's sent off in an escape pod. And he lands in Gotham, with the trusting citizens thinking he's an alien spy. Jimmy runs off and finds cops who are actually aliens in disguise. He knows too much, and the chase is on. He finds himself in a dead-end alley, only to be saved by, well, it is her title. Jimmy decides to play it safe and lie to her, telling her that his pregnant girlfriend is back in Metropolis and begs her to let him go be with her. Harley decides to take him to Metropolis instead, making Jimmy Harley Quinn's pal. Harley wants to know more about his girlfriend, and he tells her it's Talia al Ghul, although he thinks she's just the new head of FlexCorp. Harley takes him to one of Joker's secret hideouts, swiping one of the cars. Jimmy starts to hotwire the vehicle, only to find a bunch of supervillain goons holed up there for the war, and they don't like sharing. There's a scuffle and a lot of arguing from the goons. Jimmy gets the car running, and they fly out. They drive through war zones, stopping at a gas station, only to be attacked by another alien. The local sheriff grabs Jimmy, assuming Harley kidnapped him. He's been fighting the aliens since he crashed there and managed to get a device off the creature. When Jimmy touches it, he starts to speak in binary, as he did when he put that helmet on, and is suddenly able to speak the alien's language. He tries to hand the device back to the alien, but the sheriff shoots it instead. Harley and Jimmy peel out. There's an explosion behind them. They make it to Metropolis, and Jimmy decides to come clean, only to run into the female Furies. They have a history with Harley, and they grab Jimmy. They track down Harley in a warehouse, and there's another fight. Jimmy goes into binary again, which somehow wins the day. Jimmy tells Harley that Talia is not his girlfriend, and she responds by almost shooting him before deciding all's fair in love and war, and that the trip was just too fun. Jimmy runs away and into the one of the tie-in issues. World's Finest, our World's at War number one. Writer Jeff Loeb, pencils Mike Wierengo, Doug Mankey, Phil Jimenez, Mark Buckingham, Bill Sinkowitz, Evel Kijat, Pascal Ferry, Todd Nock, Duncan Rouleau, and Ed McGinnis. Inks, Jose Marzan Jr., Walden Wong, Mark Morales, Wayne Foncher, Bill Sinkowitz, Dexter Vines, Marlo Aquiza, Larry Stucker, and Cam Smith, Colors, Xylenol Studio, Letters, Comicraft, Assistant Editor Tom Palmer Jr., and Editor Eddie Berganza. Like an earlier story, this is wrapped inside quotes from General MacArthur's address to Congress. The story is about grieving, with several characters losing their lives in the war. Clark visits Bruce in the Batcave. Bruce is refusing to go to the memorial service as he has made finding Tim and Young Justice a priority. Diana warps in, saying we all grieve in our own ways, and they leave Bruce alone. 
Red Tornado tells Bruce that there are thousands of spacecraft and Young Justice could be in any one of them. In Atlantis, a hollow memorial is set up for Aquaman, although he's technically MIA. The leaguers talk about Arthur. Meanwhile, the Titans go to the lighthouse where Arthur lived as a child. Wally asks if this makes Garth the new Aquaman. At the JSA Brownstone, Jay, Alan, and Ted sit around playing cards on the original JSA table and talk about Hippolyta. Sand finds them and asks if they were drinking. Soda for me and Sand, everyone here is over 21, and Hippolyta was, she was over 21, and they all laugh. Clark and Diana drop by to remind them of the memorial. We see Amanda Waller at Arlington Cemetery on a phone call with Lex. They argue whether this was sufficient for the man buried there, but that's what Sergeant Rock wanted. On a spaceship, Mongol insists that she is the rightful heir of Almorak after the death of Maxima. Superman tries to stop it, but the remaining citizens of Almorak agree. In Smallville, a man is next to a memorial for a strange visitor, a character that had only been around for two years at that point. He's angry at Clark and Diana that her memorial is so minimal, despite the fact that she sacrificed herself to stop Imperiax. Back to Batman and Red Tornado. A boom tube pops up and Young Justice is inside, safe and sound. In a rare event, Bruce smiles. Cut back to Arlington, where General Sam Lane is laid to rest in a military ceremony with Lex, Clark, and Lois attending. Afterward, Clark flies Lois to Smallville, where she sees the damage there, including the destroyed Kent farm. Ma and Pa are missing, and we see Superman crying. In our next class, it's an identity crisis. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at facebook.com slash sfppn. Follow us on Twitter at sfppn. Check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.